Hi, and welcome to Main Street Matters by Heart on Main Street, the podcast that's dedicated to helping the independent retail community by sharing their stories and providing tips on how to grow their business and thrive within their local community. I am your host, Patrick Kaiser. A couple of housekeeping items before we dive in today. If you'd like to support this show or the organization Heart on Main Street, you can go to heartonmainstreet.org. And due to some feedback that I've received from our fantastic listeners, we are working on merch. Soon you'll be able to buy t-shirts, stickers, coffee mugs, tote bags, and more from our website. So be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, you can support us by donating to Heart on Main Street, uh, register for a webinar, or check out our Friends of Main Street partners all through our website. That again is heartonmainstreet.org. All donations are tax deductible, and I write you a nice thank you note for being awesome. In today's episode, we're back out on the road, visiting towns across the country and talking with retailers. Over the past several months, I've been going out and visiting retailers as part of our Main Street Monday series. If you aren't already following us on social media, you can keep track of our travels and follow along with this series by following Heart on Main Street, all one word, on Instagram. Part of the purpose of the Main Street Mondays is to go out to towns and introduce Heart on Main Street to as many retailers as possible. I want people to know that there is an organization out there supporting independent retailers and providing free education and aid after natural disasters. But I'm also genuinely interested in learning about these retailers, understanding why they started their stores, their successes, and where they face challenges. These things help us as an organization provide better information for retailers. Every store and every story is unique, and I love learning the why behind the store. I also want to understand better what towns are doing and not doing to help their cities succeed. In some towns, you can drive in and recognize that there are institutions within the area that are helping to promote business and working to bring people into the downtown. But this is not really every town. Recently, I've partnered with the trade publication Gifts and Decorative Accessories to write a weekly blog about my travels. I focus on what towns and retailers are doing to help each other succeed. Today, I'll introduce you to Elmhurst, Illinois, Zionsville, Indiana, Pentwater, Michigan, and Cedarburg, Wisconsin. These are purely Midwest. I've been driving to all my destinations, so anything within about a five and a half hour drive of Chicago. But I have had some communities reach out to me and ask me to come visit. I visited Bloomfield, Iowa a few weeks ago, and I'll be visiting Saratoga Springs, New York in mid-October. And I have you on my list in Odessa, Kansas and Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I have not forgotten about you. If you would like your town to be featured on Main Street Monday, send me an email. You can write at contact at heartonmainstreet.org. I would love to see where you live. My first stop in this grouping was Elmhurst, Illinois. Elmhurst is a beautiful suburb of Chicago that, like I mentioned about Hinsdale in a previous episode, lies along the train tracks. Chicago has a sprawling public transportation system connecting its suburbs to the city, which is often a major boon for these towns to be located on the train tracks. People will hop on the train, take it a few stops, shop, dine, drink, and then jump back on another train headed home. 
Elmhurst seems to have taken great advantage of this. There are retail stores and restaurants and bars lining the tracks on both sides, making for easy access for those who want to pop in and pop out. There is a universally acclaimed coffee shop and patisserie called Pilot Beats right at the train stop for those that were commuting into the city. As you venture into the Main Street area, you are struck by their art installations. Elmhurst is one of six U.S. cities participating in the Umbrella Sky Project. Four locations around downtown have been overtaken by vibrantly bright umbrellas, suspended in between buildings or across alleyways, literally covering the sky in umbrellas. It's stunning. You almost feel forced to stop and take photos. On bright, sunny days like when I visited, the street and walkways are drenched in a colorful shade coming down from the umbrellas. Every installation was full of people either taking photos, staring at them, or in just enjoying a beautiful, shady area. The investment that the city made in these art installations has brought in tourists from not only around Chicago, but really across the United States and the world. I imagine it's that people who vacation in Chicago and they find that they can easily reach Elmhurst via the aforementioned train system, but retailers that I spoke to loved this and what it had done for their city. And the businesses themselves really embraced the uniqueness of the umbrella sky. Restaurants put out colorful umbrellas on their patios or umbrella decorations in their windows to reflect this. Many stores sold items with brightly colored umbrellas or items with umbrellas emblazoned on them. What I was also amazed by in Elmhurst was the extreme diversity of retail genres. I mentioned when I spoke about Hinsdale, the village had tended to skew more towards chain stores over the last several decades, finding stability in national brands versus taking chances on the little guy. This seemed to be the exact opposite in Elmhurst. Now, there were some national brands. I don't want to give the impression that Elmhurst is an oasis for independent retailers. I have seen towns like that, and I will talk about them some later in this episode, but this is not necessarily the case here. But unlike Hinsdale, Elmhurst did seem to put much more of an emphasis on independent retailers and diverse retailers as well. While I was walking the streets, I saw record stores, a store dedicated to the game of chess, comic book shops, a coin store, a board game store, a sports card, an autograph shop. All of these were alongside the traditional boutiques and gift stores that you would expect to find. To have this type of diverse retail foundation is evidence that the town prioritizes independent retail. It is easier for towns to have common stores than to branch out onto board game shops and chess stores and coin shops and autograph and card stores. These type of retailer locations aren't seen everywhere. And so on one hand, they are riskier. There is less of a recent proof of concept for their appeal. Trading cards and autographs can be bought online. Same with chess boards or board games and strategy guides. These are stores that are almost relics of a pre-internet era. As a young kid, I loved my local baseball card store. I would spend hours in it searching for rookie cards of my favorite players. 
but these are few and far between now. Well, in Elmhurst, you can still go into the sandlot and look through the glass cases to find valuable cards, or look through stacks of boxes to find those hidden gems. And kids do. While I was in there, there was a half dozen youths in the store talking about cards, haggling with the owner, working out trades to acquire what they deemed to be more valuable. It was really amazing to see. And on the other hand, because these collector stores are rarer, Elmhurst has in some ways cornered the market. They've created a destination location for these hobbies. Comics, coins, chess, sports cards, board games, all can be found in one town within walking distance of each other. Becoming known for these hobby retail stores will bring people in from across the area to visit and shop. And while their visitors will take pictures with the umbrellas and post to social media, of course, and then dine at local restaurants, there can really be a whole economy built around this model. Our next stop was Zionsville, Indiana. Zionsville is a wonderful suburb of Indianapolis that really does a great job of showing its history and modernization along its main street. The town was founded in the 1850s, and there are many pictures and representations throughout the downtown of its development from the early 1900s until today. So by looking at these and exploring the town, you can really take a tour through history and see what's changed and what's remained the same. One aspect that you immediately notice in Zionsville is Main Street's red brick road throughout the downtown. As far as I could tell, it was a unique feature in Zionsville to just the downtown. It begins and ends within the section of commerce. So it has this effect of being almost a red carpet welcoming you into the main street and guiding your path as you walk along. It's an incredibly quaint element of the town that just makes for an added historical feel. I've lived in towns with brick streets. I know that from the town's perspective, they're incredibly arduous to maintain and keep up. When the weather changes, the ground moves, and so do the bricks. Cars driving over the bricks cause wear and tear and the breakdown of the bricks. Water gets in between them and pushes them apart, especially in areas that freeze, the ice will do that. It's an almost constant maintenance to keep them looking nice. So the pure existence of a red brick road in the town is the town's commitment to its aesthetics and charm. I really do laud Zionsville for that. Another characteristic that I really loved about Zionsville was the juxtaposition of the old and new right along Main Street. Walking down the street, you have one side that is old historical homes that in some cases have been converted into retail spaces or restaurants or B&Bs. There are older buildings on that side. It has a feeling that elicits the history of the town while on the other side of the street is more modern and has newer buildings and a fresher feel. It is this interesting bifurcation that, that of downtown that really shows that it is a historical city, but it's also not stuck in the past. 
my trip to Zionsville was impacted by what happens in many towns on Mondays, store closures. That is something I experience to a certain extent in every town, but some more than others. And the sister issue to store closures is the owner taking Monday off. Both of these events were prevalent in Zionsville, which is unfortunate. With the store being closed, there isn't much I can do from a Main Street Monday aspect, but if the store is open and the owner isn't present, then it becomes a coin flip as to whether or not the associate or the store manager wants to participate. Now, generally, I think at least that this should be an easy yes. Our goal is to feature the town and the retailers within the town, we in essence provide some free advertising for the store in exchange for me asking some questions about the business and taking some photos. But you'd be surprised how many people really don't feel comfortable making that decision. So unfortunately, I missed the opportunity to feature some really, really cool stores through our social media channels in Zionsville because either of the store closure or the owner just not being in store. So. There was an antique bookstore there, a gorgeous, gorgeous home decor and furniture restoration store. Those are really the two big ones that jumped to mind. But I was able to visit with some other really amazing retailers. One thing I'm always fascinated by is newer retailers. The new ideas that they bring to the table. There are so many different aspects to running a retail store that it honestly it does take years of experience to really become an expert. And often retailers, rightfully so, outsource the things that they're not good at and focus on what they do have a passion for and excel in. The newer retailer often has an aspect where they excel and are really just trying to figure everything else out. I've noticed that often that area that they really do well in is visual merchandising. Having some design background or an idea and concept in their head of what they want this to look like. They have an awareness of the aesthetics within the store that they want. The Duo Boutique in Zionsville really exemplified this. Only open since April of this year, they had an incredible sense of presence within the store. Beautiful, picture-worthy displays all throughout the store. Merchandise was easy to see, easy to shop. They had wall art displays, which really went well within the store. Truly a great job for such a new store. And they had really cute things too. My wife asked me to pick up a couple items from their store really just based on pictures that I took. So I just wanted to give them a quick shout out because running a new store is incredibly difficult to do and it's really great to see a store that you feel is going to be successful. The next week I was up in Pentwater, Michigan. I honestly don't know if I've been as surprised or impressed with another town more than I have with Pentwater, Michigan. I discovered Pentwater because a retailer, the Pentwater Candle Company, reached out to us to be notified about some of our programs. I had never heard of Pentwater before, but I added them to our list because I feel it's right to go and meet the retailers who reached out to us if possible. Pentwater is a small harbor town on Lake Michigan, like really small, like 900 people small, but it has such a big heart, which was incredible and endearing. 
people who know about Pentwater love Pentwater, myself included. The first thing I noticed, and actually I saw this a week or so before I went to the town, was the pride in Pentwater. I was looking at a friend's stories on Instagram, and I noticed that a friend had posted a picture of their child, and the child was wearing a Pentwater, Michigan t-shirt. Now, my friend lives in Fort Worth, Texas, and is originally from upstate New York. So there is no natural or logical connection between them and Pentwater. I thought it was just a coincidence, like how when you get a new car and you start to suddenly see that car everywhere. I had just heard about the town and planned a visit there, and suddenly I saw someone wearing apparel from that town. And maybe it was this effect, but when I arrived in Pentwater, I quickly realized that the appearance of Pentwater apparel was almost a coordinated effort. Everyone, and I mean almost everyone, wore some form of Pentwater apparel or had Pentwater Michigan merchandise. Whether it was t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, tote bags, water bottles, pillows, I have never seen anything like it. There was so much pride in Pentwater. It was honestly really cool to see. I don't know if I've experienced another small town like this that has done such a great job of branding itself so that people want to wear branded clothing around. I currently live in Chicago and I've previously lived in the Cleveland area. These two larger cities both have a reputation for people wanting to tell people that they're from the city. You see lots of people wearing the Chicago flag on their clothes or tattooed on them or sports teams apparel. In Cleveland, they've taken it even a step further and have this us against the world mentality where you will literally see people wearing Cleveland versus everybody t-shirts. And there are whole Cleveland shops and brands dedicated to just Cleveland and Cleveland products. I'm looking at you, the Cleveland store and GV Arts. But for a small town like Pentwater to have this pride is incredible. They're not a big city. They're not a major metropolitan area. They're a tiny harbor town that has so, so much pride. I've really not seen anything like this anywhere else. And this pride permeates through the town culture as well. As a harbor town, it's a little bit of a tourist vacation, not a huge area, but it certainly brings in more people for tourism there than there are permanent residents. Areas like this sometimes have a tendency to want a chain within the town to provide some stability to the downtown, a familiar face for a visitor, or almost a point of evidence to, for locals. Like, oh yeah, we have a Chipotle or something within our town. Not in Pentwater. Everything in their downtown is locally owned, or in this very tiny instance, gives the appearance of being locally owned. A local resident saw my stories as I was going around town and asked if I wanted to grab a cup of coffee and talk about our organization and what we're doing. I agreed, of course, because I love meeting people and I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me to ask questions about the area. We were talking about this pride that people have in Pentwater, and he told me a story that I found really, really interesting. He was telling me about how much people love this area and really respect locally owned businesses. Some families own two, three, or even four stores along Main Street because they love the town and they want to continue to have local businesses. 
and they've been successful enough to open multiple stores. He then talked about a pizza and sandwich shop that I had seen while walking around, and he said that most people don't know this or maybe have forgotten this, but it actually was a larger regional chain that you can find throughout Michigan. I forget which one. However, when it moved in and opened its doors, it did terribly. No one wanted to go there because it wasn't local. So the place rebranded itself with Pentwater in the name, and they started representing more of the community and the decor and the atmosphere, and that brought people in. So they wouldn't want to go there when it was the common, larger chain, but because it became Pentwater specific and Pentwater local, that is what made it successful. And the independent retailers in the area were incredible. There were several gorgeous art stores, all local artists, a place called Jilly's Gallery specializes in glass art. The owner, Jill, had some really stunning, beautiful pieces in there. There were small pieces as well as full wall decorations. The Painted Frog Art Studio was another local art store that also had a kids' art studio in the back. It was incredible to see little artists working together and learning techniques alongside this really well-done art studio. There are also great gift and home decor stores. The longest tenured store in town is the Oldwick Post Gift Store. It inhabits a building that back in the 1930s was a physician's office. So it had this very unique setup that if you can kind of imagine a doctor's office and then a store coming in there, it allowed you to twist and turn as you went throughout the building and explore different rooms and everything just kind of opened up in different areas. They also sold delicious confectionaries right by the front door. So you were immediately hit with the smell of chocolate and by the time you're walking around and exploring, you're starving to try some. The Pentwater Candle Company which was the reason I learned about Pentwater, did not disappoint. It, and as well as its sister home decor store, Birch, Michigan, are beautifully merchandised. The owner has done an incredible job, has a visual merchandising background, and has really brought that into creating a gorgeous location, two gorgeous locations. They very skillfully used older fixtures and display pieces to provide a rustic atmosphere to what are some very elegant products. There's also a wonderful women's clothing boutique and home accessory store called Craze Home, which again was just tremendously merchandised. It too inhabits an older building on Main Street and plays into the age of the building with its wood floors and rustic fixtures, but combines it with beautiful merchandise and a fun and inventive interior decorating. It expands over two stories and allows shoppers to wander and explore while discovering new things in each corner. Lastly was honestly a remarkable children's store. I've talked about other children's stores in the past that I've been impressed with. I've more recently taken a note to them and I like to look around and bring something home for my little one. But this one surpasses all others. And I can honestly say that because it has been rated one of the best children's stores in the entire country 
in this small little harbor town. Storybook Village was just amazing. The interior was whimsical and fun. There were several constructions inside to represent parts of the town outside. Like one was an entrance to a room that was decorated as the town's lighthouse. Everything was so well thought out to appeal to children and inspire wonder. Every doorframe was decorated and stylized to be fun and exciting. The store itself expands over two storefronts. And within the second, there's a whole reading room and puppet theater that's decorated like an enchanted forest. I can only imagine how magical this place is for children to come to and explore. Pentwater was just a fantastic visit. I honestly had no expectations going in. I knew nothing about the town, and I came away loving this area because of their pride and the focus on the independent retailers. They've done so much to really build themselves that they don't feel like a 900-person town. They feel like something much bigger, much grander, much more celebrated than that. Lastly, we have Cedarburg, Michigan. About 20 miles north of Milwaukee, amongst shady, tree-lined roads, lies Cedarburg, Wisconsin. If you arrive in from the north, you pass the last covered bridge in Wisconsin, which really sets the stage for this charming and historic downtown. It was settled in the mid-1800s, and Cedarburg is proud of its history. There are several historical markers all throughout the downtown main thoroughfare, Washington Street, which tell about this town's founding and its growth. While exploring some of the shops on Washington Street, you can really get a sense of how the city developed over time. Some retail locations inhabit skillfully constructed limestone buildings that were locally quarried in the late 1800s. You can see I read those historical markers. Others occupy houses from the early 1900s, which have been rezoned for commercial use. The old Cedar Creek Mill now houses close to a dozen different retail stores, restaurants, and wineries. And then there's Rilu's Boutique, whose built-in fixtures helped tell its history as it transitioned from the Cedarburg Woolen Mill, that still has its name on the building, and then that had taken place of the town's pharmacy that had a residence in the back of the building. And that residence has now been incorporated into the boutique's floor space, china cabinets and hall. These aspects really point towards the town's history and the longevity of sustaining a strong and healthy Main Street. As I walked around the town and spoke with its retailers, it was common to hear that this independent retailer has been in business for 15, 20, 40 years. But this is not common in most communities. There may be a store or two that have held on over the decades, but the number of retailers in Cedarburg with a sustained success and the continued repurposing of the city's history is unique. When I asked retailers what they owed this success to, they pointed towards their history, but more importantly, they identified the town's use of festivals to drive business. This is an essential element of the success of modern Main Streets. There might be a great history in the town, a tradition of a flourishing downtown sector or great retail locations, 
but if the town takes the extra steps to draw people in, then those other aspects become a reason for added success rather than the main drivers themselves. In Cedarburg, the town has the Festivals of Cedarburg Committee, which organizes six major events per year, the Strawberry Festival, Wine and Harvest Fest, a Cedarburg Christmas, Winterfest, Oktoberfest, and a Canine Carnival. During some of these festivals, this town of around 12,000 residents brings in over 100,000 people into their downtown. Stores spill out onto the sidewalks to welcome visitors, and they quickly sell out of their merchandise. The town also welcomes musical acts to the main street during the summer to bring people downtown and ex extend its liveliness during long evenings. Cedarburg is an excellent example of a town proud of its history and taking actions to ensure that others can see it too. Within these four stops, I learned so much and got to experience so many tremendous things that made it obvious why independent retail is thriving in these towns. For some, it was leaning into and celebrating its history and culture like Zionsville, Pentwater, and Cedarburg. They represented their history and culture proudly and incorporated into their daily lives of their citizens and in their retail stores. The intentional act of focusing on and promoting their history and their city is paying off and entire economies are developed around this pride. For others, it was having attractions to bring people from the outside to their village. I saw this in Elmhurst and Cedarburg and Pentwater, which I didn't mention had a gigantic sailing competition there. Whether it was art installations or festivals or that sailing competition, the town took efforts to bring people in from far and wide to make sure others could experience their beautiful town. And each town brought their own unique elements as well that allow their main streets to thrive. By focusing on their independent retailers and creating an environment for independent retailers to succeed, they've ensured that they're going to have a healthy, thriving Main Street for years to come. I hope you can tell that I loved visiting all four of these areas and finding out more about them and what makes them magical and how their retailers can really be successful. Through our Main Street Mondays, we've gone on to visit so many more towns, and I'm excited to bring you stories from those as well but we've come to the end of our time today. You can follow along with Heart on Main Street through social media at Heart on Main Street, all one word, on basically all platforms. Follow along every Monday for our Main Street Monday as I explore different towns. If you'd like to be featured in a Main Street Monday, let us know. You can email us at contact at heartonmainstreet.org or put a comment on a video or this podcast. We'd be excited to see your town. This episode was written, produced, researched, edited, and hosted by me, Patrick Kaiser. For more information on our organization, visit heartonmainstreet.org. Thank you so much.